Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, sometimes, sometimes in your life, you walk out of an escape room and run into a podcaster and then through a weird happenstance, they end up on your show. You're just, you're just riding high and things happen. <laughs> And uh, and somehow Travis McElroy winds up on your show. Yeah, pretty much. You ride the adrenaline of solving a puzzle real good, and <laughs> then here you are. But yes, so our our guest this week is Travis McElroy, who I'm sure you've heard of before, but if you yeah. haven't, he gives off his litany of podcasts that he's on and does and makes, so I'm not going to list them off here. Though I will mention that he is in Trolls 2. Yes, that is very important, and I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to if you didn't. But yeah, at this point, if you are currently listening to a podcast, which we know you are, and you have not heard of Travis McElroy, I'm not sure how you got here, but welcome. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're flattered that this happened somehow, <laughs> but... <laughs> welcome to the world of podcasts. Uh, <laughs> but no, we were, uh, we're obviously very excited that Travis agreed to be on. We've been very happy about all of our guests. They're all precious, wonderful people who have had uh, wonderful conversations with us about things that they that they are passionate about and it is always a delight but i think we have to give extra points to travis for being possibly one of the most infectiously excitable people on the planet would you say that's accurate yeah i I would say so (laughs) travis was just a joy to listen to talk about things and that thing that he decided to talk about was subterfuge games or uh, lying games i guess you could call them basically things like werewolf and mafia and and stuff like that which is something that i'm familiar with one night ultimate werewolf is usually in game night rotation uh but and you aren't super familiar with this topic. no no i played a, a game of this type which i cannot tell you the name of once at a convention with friends but i was so sick and had such a high fever that i I genuinely remember almost nothing about the game, except that I drew the card to be some sort of uh, future spy, and I did win, and my friends were not very pleased with me. Uh, so apparently the, the secret to being really good at deception is just not wanting to play and being extremely ill. But even even if you, like me, are not really familiar with these games, I think Travis does a very good job of, of describing how the gameplay works, uh, even though they vary, obviously, but the general concept and how you strategize to to play them and you know also how that is as an experience for you as a player um, and why he loves doing it so maybe we should just let him talk the professional podcaster (laughs) so we'll just go to that conversation right now Well, yeah, Travis, thank you so much for coming on. I know you are like literally one of the busiest people in the world right now. Um, but thank you for so much for coming on and spending some time with us to talk about things. I am so happy to be here. And and listen, my busyness is completely self-imposed, so I have no one to blame but myself. And I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to be here um, and not be doing eight other things. So thank you for having me. <laughs> So yeah, I'm sure a, uh, a lot of people who are listening to this probably already kind of know who you are, but can you like introduce yourself, give a sort of brief rundown of like what you do and introduce what you brought to talk about today? Yeah, I sure can. Uh, my name is Travis McRoy. I uh, do a lot of podcasts. Um, the probably most notable ones are My Brother, My Brother and Me and The Adventure Zone, but I also do Schmanners, 
trends like these run a Doctor Who fan cast. Uh, surprisingly nice. Till death do us blart. The McRoy brothers will be in Trolls 2. Positivatini. There's a lot. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, what I've brought is it's hard for me to find a topic because as evidenced by the number of, of podcasts I do, hard for me to find a topic that I love that I don't already talk about a lot. And so I was thinking long and hard and I did what I do whenever I need uh, to think of ideas, which is I look around my office, which is kind of an extension of my brain. What I've done in my office is I have like compartmentalized shelves. So like I'm looking at a shelf now that is my television shelf that's filled with all of my favorite TV characters. And then next to me is my comic book shelf. And over there is my video game shelf. And I actually have one that's just dedicated all to me, which tells you a little <laughs> bit about me. Uh, but then I also have a shelf that's all board games and all table games, which I love. And specifically, I have a shelf dedicated to, like, subterfuge games, like, lying games. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like, that's a thing that I love very much that I have never gone in depth about why I love them. And so I have decided to talk about lying games. I, I was, I, I'd have to admit, I was super excited when you landed on that because I, uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf is mm -hmm. one of my favorite games, like, on the face of the earth. So I was just like, oh, yes, like, that is so much my jam. I was so stoked. For those who might not be familiar, you don't have to give, like, a huge, like, Wikipedia article description of these types of games, but, like, a kind of a brief overview of what these games kind of, like, how they operate for right. people who might not know. So the, the kind of broad overview is in most games, what it is is one person is some kind of secret thing or hidden role, and you are trying to determine who that person is through, there's uh, various different methods to do that, but mostly it's just through kind of interrogation and psychology, and the games are usually pretty simple as far as that goes. There's not a lot of, like, rules to understand so much as it's like, we do five minutes of gameplay and then an hour and a half of discussion, and, like, that... that So what you're trying to do is usually it's like, this person's trying to protect the person or this person's trying to find it out, and by the end... You have to either identify the person or the person who is in hiding wins. What was the what was the first one of these games that you ever played? Oh, that's such a good question. Um I would say I think Werewolf might have been the first one I played. I'm trying to remember because like, you know, you play a lot of theater games and or at least I did. You say you. Mm -hmm. A theater <laughs> nerd like myself has played a lot of like improv games and, you know, a lot of camp games and stuff since I was a kid. So there may be a version of it before now, but like the first version I really remember playing kind of a a like this is the rule set was Werewolf. And here's the thing. I love logic. A lot. Like, I, I was in uh, talented and gifted classes, not to brag, <laughs> when I was in elementary school. And one of my favorite things that we would do is those puzzles where it's like, here's five people, here's five items, and like, here's five pieces of clothing, here's like four clues that are like, uh, Tim would never wear red, neither Bill nor Steve were holding the rubber duck. And then at the end, it's like, so who has what? I love those. In fact, I now, as an adult, have books of them that I do for, just for fun um, because I love solving uh, I love solving mysteries. And so when I first started playing these games, and I was like, oh, this is that. This is like really scratching an itch for me of like, I can be a detective 
and and solve this stuff. And because in in a lot of games, like if you're playing Clue, for example, which I think is a really good uh, compare and contrast to make Mm -hmm. with these kinds of games, right? If you're playing Clue, you're playing against the game um, and nobody knows the answer. So the skill comes in like, how you test rooms, right? And, like, there's another game called Mastermind um, where you're trying to determine, like, the order and and color of pegs the other person has put across from you. With Once again, even though you're playing against the other person, the skill is in, like, testing the order and testing and seeing where it matches up. But in these subterfuge games, the skill comes in reading the other person and in, like, okay, well, they said this... And, like, so, for example, I just, uh, for the first time, played Secret Hitler at Gen Con this year. Yeah, we were both there. We watched. Yeah, we were at that panel. Yeah. And I feel like more than some of the other titles, I have to explain what Secret Hitler is. (laughs) Yeah. Because it does have Hitler in the title. (laughs) It's not a great game to to just say out of context. Right. (laughs) So, basically, in Secret, Secret Hitler, you have, I believe, 10 players. One of those players is playing the role of Hitler. Uh, let me step one step further back. I know. Really. So at the beginning of the game, everybody is handed one of 10 packets and one packet contains the Hitler role. Three packets contain uh, just generic fascist role and six packets contain generic liberal role. And the goal of the liberals is to figure out who Hitler is and make sure that Hitler does not get elected to chancellor. And the role of the fascists is to make sure that Hitler gets elected to chancellor. And the role of Hitler is to get elected to chancellor. But the thing is, the liberals do not know who the fascists or Hitler are. The fascists know who the other fascists and and Hitler is. And Hitler has no idea who the fascists are. And even if it would just stop there, right, then you kind of like, oh, that sounds a lot like Werewolf or Mafia or games like that. But one of the things I really love about Secret Hitler is then there is this mechanic where in every round, somebody gets elected president and that president chooses who's going to be chancellor with them before they are elected. And then that president and chancellor pass policies and they might pass a liberal policy or a fascist policy, depending on what tiles they draw. And all of this is data that you collect, right? Where you can say, okay, well, you picked person A, and then between the two of you, you passed a fascist policy. So now I have all of this information that I've gathered from there to help me make my decision. And then add to that the psychology of like, how they voted, how they interacted, how they reacted when the, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. And like, I love it so (laughs) much. And it's it's funny because when we played it at that live stream at Gen Con, I kept thinking like, I'm sorry for everyone watching because there's no way this is as interesting to you as it is to me because I am not being funny. I am Travis McRoy, professional comedian. I am not being funny at all. I am a detective and I'm going to solve this. This is not for your entertainment in the least. This is for me and I am into this game. 
I thought it was super entertaining, to be honest. I, especially the, the second round, because the second round, they let the audience see who Hitler was and who the fascists were, but no one else on stage knew. So we could watch you guys try to figure it out when we already knew and then see the strategy that the fascists and Hitler were using as well. So that was like an extra insight into how the game is played and also how people play it. How did I play it? Now I'm super curious. What did you think about my play style? Uh... I think I think you were very insightful. I think you were definitely you were the most engaged in strategizing and trying to understand what people's behavior might indicate, even if they were trying to use it as a misdirect. And I could I could see like I think you pegged Matt really Matt Young really early on and I could see that he switched his strategy to like oh I'm gonna throw myself under the bus so that suspicion doesn't fall to other people (laughs) so that was that was very interesting to watch yeah I think I remember actually quietly fist pumping when that moment happened because (laughs) it was just like that beautiful moment where everything fell into place and I was because like again from an audience perspective it was very fun to watch all of those especially in that second game because we were sort of in on the I was about to say in on the joke but it's not a joke (laughs) but uh, same idea it was also very hard to not react though yeah because we knew. I will say y'all did great that like the whole crowd because when they told me for the second game the audience would know I was like oh that's gonna ruin it because like everything we say there's gonna be like gasps or laughs or something and the audience was super chill and like it was really great but like so I I I love the games because I don't know if you all know do you know Rocket Jump the the production company Rocket Jump? Vaguely yeah. Yeah I'm familiar with it. So they were LA based and when I moved there uh, so it's uh, Freddie Wong, uh, I think, is the head of it. And they did like video game high school and a whole bunch of stuff. But they would do monthly game nights. And it was like 50, 60, 70 people. Wow. Um, yeah. And so all these different breakout games that included super games, but uh, super fun stuff. But the first thing we would do is uh, play like a huge game of, I think it's called Assassins uh, or something along those lines, where, or Assassination, where basically... Like, two people, three people are assassins, and as you walk around, everybody's supposed to move around, and, like, you do this motion that kills the person you're making eye contact with, and then, like, three seconds later, they drop dead, and the first person to find the body yells, like, dead body, and everybody comes running, and everybody try, and the person who discovered the body gets to make a guess as to who they think the assassins are. What I love about those kinds of games is it, as an icebreaker... It kind of jumps you over anything because it's like, if I don't know who you are, but I think you're the assassin, like, I'm not being nice. Like, we are, we have now jumped way past that to like, no, you know what? We're dealing with this now. Like, but within, within the, I think the, if you are doing it right within the bounds of like, we all know this is a game. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, one, it's a really good kind of like litmus test for me of if somebody is a, playing well so like they're definitely invested but not so invested that they are actually real world upset like this is a person i like playing games with and two like we don't have to know each other's names to play this game together and that's one of the things i really love because in some games where it's like how well do you know the person like i don't need that you know like there's like um catchphrase right yeah right when i play catchphrase where my brothers are like on my team it is unfair to everyone else <laughs> oh yeah like, yeah I, and like i can reference stuff of like that guy from that thing and they're like jim carrey i'm like yes and like <laughs> it's ridiculous but what i love is when it comes to these subterfuge games it's just about human psychology and not like knowing the person but like so there was another game that we played at the rocket jump thing it's uh 
Mafia Cubano. I'm looking over at my thing to see it. It's like Cuban Mafia, basically. And mm-hmm. one of the things I re- so you pass around a cigar box that has like diamonds in it, as well as like different roll tokens. And so you have the option to either take some diamonds or take a role. And the roles are like loyal henchman, uh, undercover agent, driver, that kind of thing. Mm. And then the box gets back to the Dawn, and the Dawn's job is to find their diamonds. Oh, huh. I, Yeah. And so, like, it might be that one person took all the diamonds right away, or it might be that, like, they're split up amongst four people at the table or whatever. And it's all psychological. My favorite thing to do when I was Dawn was to start each round, like, not letting anyone talk and just go around and ask everybody to look me in the eye and tell me they didn't take the diamonds. <laughs> oh, jeez. And wow. just based on that, like, reading those people's reaction would usually let me at least say, like, okay, these two people didn't do it. Right. Yeah. Like, something about the way they said it, I'm not worried about them. Yeah. And, like, I love that like (laughs) it's such a good and because it's such a good icebreaker and it and it just becomes this like oh it's so good because one of the big hurdles i think to a lot of table games is when you start to so for example if you're playing i'm looking at my shelf again like if you're playing betrayal at house on the hill with someone for the first time and you start trying to explain it to them, you can, like, watch their eyes glaze over. Now, once you start playing, it's like, oh, I get it, okay. But when you explain it to... But, like, if you're saying... If you're playing werewolf, and you're like, somebody is the werewolf, and we're gonna figure out who it is. The end. (laughs) That's the game. (laughs) That's the game. That's it. And so, like, that's one of the things I love, is normally in these lying games, the rules are very straightforward, it's strategy that becomes the thing. And so this is why I refuse to play these games with my wife because she does not lie 99% of the time. <laughs> and she, when she does lie, is an amazing bluffer. Because the thing about Teresa is that makes Teresa impossible to beat at any kind of game is that she is not competitive at all. So like most of the way that I end up beating people is by playing them against themselves, right? Like saying like, oh, if I'm playing, you know, risk against this person, I'm going to make them, I'm going to tempt them into spreading themselves too thin. But that doesn't work on Teresa because she doesn't care about winning. (laughs) And like, I have played so many games. Teresa beat me the first time she had ever played Catan. Beat me so bad. (laughs) Like, destroyed me because she just played it and like wasn't trying to strategize wasn't trying to like think eight moves ahead or whatever she just played her move and did the thing she wanted to do and destroyed me and so when it comes to like lying games and stuff like she is unreadable because she has like she's not having the like adrenaline surges that let you like see people like looking around you know and like being nervous because she's not nervous because she doesn't care (laughs) she is amazing at them now in real life she can't lie to save her life (laughs) so it's just this one specific scenario (laughs) yeah just in games she's like i don't even know like sure yeah yeah i'm no i'm not the werewolf and you're like what the fuck 
does that mean? <laughs> I don't know if I can curse, but I just did. Sorry. But it's one of those things where it's like, I have no idea what she's thinking. If she's what I mean, she's also, I will say, super good at poker. Like she is just because she it's one of those things. I think a really good player of any kind of like lying bluffing game only lies and bluffs when they need to. And so they're also just really good at playing the game. Cause that's the thing is when I play subterfuge lying games, I don't lie if I don't need to. Because if, if you get way too into it, right? And you're like, enjoying lying you're way too easy to catch Mm -hmm. because then the person next to you is like well that hold on that doesn't make any sense because when it got to me i didn't that wasn't there and it's like well i said a thing i didn't even need to say they have too many opportunities to try to read you if you if you lie too much yeah i could go on and on about why i love the strategy of it because like the other side of it is one of the things i think that really undoes first-time players in lying games is so if they have nothing to hide, you know, they're just a villager or they're just a liberal or they're the loyal henchman or whatever, they think like, okay, cool. Well, now I don't have to worry about it and I can just play honestly and play. And it's like, no, like <laughs> sometimes that's when you like the first time I ever played werewolf and I was a villager or I think I was like the, the inspector or something because there's all these different rules in, in ultimate werewolf. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so I, and like I was so aggressively trying to figure it out. That everybody was like, okay, so you're the werewolf. Right. Yeah. And I was like, what? No. What? And they're like, then why are you trying so hard to point blame at everyone who's not you? And I was like, because I'm trying to figure out who it is. And they're like, that's exactly what the werewolf would say. And like, <laughs> I ended up getting killed. And I was like, but I'm the inspector. <laughs> and so like, you have to, like, there is no easy role in games you know oh i love them i love them so much (laughs) i was gonna say yeah there's definitely especially in werewolf there are moments where you're just emphatically going like it's not me like i think the first time i played it i was just like the oracle so it's like oh i know the cards that are in the middle and everyone's like that doesn't sound right and i'm like but i'm just telling the truth (laughs) but i'm trying to help that's why what i've learned to do now and i kind of did it in that second round of secret hitler gen con is like okay cool i am a liberal but if you want to suspect me that's fine Mm -hmm. let me explain to you don't try Trust me then, but you can trust them and here's why. Mm-hmm. Like rather than a trying to establish trust in myself. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> and like what I really love is sometimes you'll find games where so I think it's like in uh in Dead of Winter, there's like a version of this, I think, where like there is a like mole, there's a traitor, and that kind of stuff, like okay, so there's a Game of Thrones board game, which is probably right now my favorite table game. Or my favorite board game, I'll say, because uh, there are RPGs that I love more. Too. But eh, not important. <laughs> and one of my favorite, I made a house rule in the um, Game of Thrones game where every, so it goes for 10 rounds, which can take a really long time. <laughs> um, and so the house rule is every three rounds, we would all step around away from the table for 15 minutes to like go to the bathroom or grab food or whatever. But really, and we all agreed on this, the real reason was to plot. So, like, you would step away from the table and then, like, step outside and, like, make alliances and decide, like, hey, and I did it one time because, like, my friend's brother was definitely going to, like, try to take me out in the next round. So Mm -hmm. I went to everyone else and convinced them that we could not trust him. And in the (laughs) next round, wiped him out of the game. Oh, my god! All of us. And I. it's the most successful I've ever felt at a board game ever. But, like, that kind of stuff, anytime that there is, like, a psychological 
element to a game, it, oh, I get hooked so quickly. I wanted to ask, is there a role that you enjoy playing? Like, do you like it when you're the werewolf or like like that role? Or do you like being the person who has to just figure everything out? I hate being the werewolf or <laughs> Hitler or whatever. Like, I hate it. I don't mean like I hate it like I won't do it. Like that for me is like the most stressful, right? Because then it's like, the problem is when you're playing, well not, okay, there are a lot of words I could use to make it sound like these are bad things about the game. These are all part of the things I love about the game and because it makes the game challenging. So what I should say is the challenging thing is when you are innocent, people still, their tendency is to distrust you, right? And then your job is to prove your innocence. And if you are innocent, trying to prove your innocence (laughs) is a lot easier than when you are Hitler. (laughs) When you're Hitler, it's a lot harder to prove your innocence. (laughs) um, But, like, that's the thing. And so the the fear, it also taps into, like, a lot of very visceral fears I have of, like, one of my, like, real-life biggest fears is, like, accidentally killing someone, which I know is very dramatic. But it comes from watching way too many, like, detective shows and like CSI kind of shows and stuff where it just seems like people are accidentally killing each other left and right. (laughs) Um, So like this idea of like me being the one being investigated, that is, I will say, the highest risk, but also the biggest reward because like if you can win that, I think that feels more satisfying than figuring out who the person is. There's something that's kind of like, I think there's something about if you figure out who the person is, right, or who the werewolf is or whatever, that's kind of feels like what's supposed to happen. That's like the win scenario. And I think even if you are the, you know, the fascists or the the Hitlers or whatever, it feels like, well, yeah, that's what's supposed, the goal of the game is to figure that out. And so when the werewolf wins or when the jewel thieves win or whatever, I think that's more satisfying as like, yes, we did it. We outsmarted the game. And so I think that's more rewarding in the end. But in playing the game, I prefer to be the inspector because that's when I can, like, let my logic muscles really, like, ramp up. I also will say, I'm saying all this, and much like I said, the audience, I'm sure, didn't enjoy watching me play. I don't know that other people like playing with me so much. Because I do, it's how I, I also, I love uh, Poirot novels, the Agatha Christie Poirot novels. Yeah, yeah. And like, if you listen to it, Poirot's <laughs> kind of annoying. Yeah, a little bit. He's but... very grating on people, and as is like Sherlock Holmes and a yeah. lot of detectives. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of like, okay, everybody shut up and let me tell you what happened is right. not... Not super endearing. Um, and so, like, I remember a point in that second round at Gen Con where, like, I think I was like, okay, wait, stop. Everybody stop. Here's what's happening. And, like, I recapped everything and everyone's like, okay, I mean, you're right. But, and it's like, I'm going to stop everyone else from getting to play the game. And now you get to just watch me play the game for a while. I don't know that that's super fun for everyone else. It's, it's very much the end of a parlor yeah, novel. Parlor uh, scene. Yeah, exactly. Oh, definitely. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like that because I, I mean, I had not, I've never played Secret Hitler. So this was the first time that I had seen other people play it as well. So I think trying to, especially when I already knew who the 
bad bad guys and who I I knew who Hitler was and I and I knew who the fascists were watching somebody else describe their thought process was actually interesting to me but I'm also a huge detective novel nerd so I don't know maybe that's part of it like maybe I like having things explained to me by people who actually understand what's going on <laughs> I don't know maybe we've hit on a new thing here where like the next big like murder mystery novel series should be just about like a game designer <laughs> who designs like these subterfuge games and then gets called in to help solve these murders. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Looking at you, Scalzi. Um, I think, because that's the thing, in a different life, I, I went back to school, so I graduated school with a theater degree mm-hmm. uh, in acting, and I went back to school for a year when I was 24, I think, 23 or 24, um, because I was interested in getting my master's in psychology. And so I took a year of psychology classes um, so that I could do the prerequisites for the master's degree. And I did great. And I aced everything, but I remembered I didn't like school, so I stopped doing that. But in a different life, uh, I, I think I would have been a psychologist. I also, at one point, when I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, very, very, very seriously considered becoming a police officer because I wanted to be a detective. I, I really liked the idea of being a detective. But then I also realized that what I wanted to be was a detective like on TV <laughs> and that in real life, it really wasn't like that. Um, yeah. And then I ended up as a podcaster and that's worked out way better for me. <laughs> but so when I get to play these games and I get to like institute both psychology and detective work and strategy like that for me is just this kind of Venn diagram of kind of my that's my kind of dream scenario of like what I would have done if Mm -hmm. if like real life was anything like dream life I would have been this like psychological detective like solving crimes and figuring people out just by the way they answer my questions and that kind of thing and so like I think that's why I mean it's definitely why I love the game so much but also the games that I find that I really love like Secret Hitler and um, Mafia and like I also find that they are designed by people who also love doing that kind of thing so like it's it feels very kindred to me and i also so like i love watching other people play them differently for me too so like mm-hmm. at the gencon game adel rafai had a completely different strategy than i did and like one yeah the first game i think yeah, yeah the first game yeah and what and like okay let me tell you my secret favorite strategy to watch someone do and this is what adel did it's like appears to be this like self-destructive, I don't even care about the game, I'm just playing wild and loose and I don't care what's happening, right? But actually it is a completely like strategic maneuver. So like Adel did this thing where he just voted no on everything. And it was like, why are you doing this? And he's like, I don't know, I just want to, right? (laughs) But really it's because he was Hitler and he didn't want everyone to know. And it was so good. It was genius. I think walking out of that panel, I I remember making the comment to Anne, like, that's a strategy you can, o- that is incredible, but it's a strategy you can only do once. <laughs> yeah. Because then if you play a second game, everyone's going to be on to it, like, yeah. immediately. Well, and then, like, Stuart, 
was there, Stuart Wellington from Flophouse. And like, I know that that dude plays all kinds of games, right? But he seemed like he was not interested in it. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, this is Stuart. This is what Stuart is doing. This <laughs> sure. is Stuart's MO is like, he doesn't talk the most. He is listening a lot. So like when he would say something, I would really listen to it. Mm-hmm. And so like, ah, I just love watching other people's strategies and like figuring that out and being able to say like, hey, I'm sorry, you seem very nice. I don't trust you at all. <laughs> and like that kind of thing is so fun to me. <laughs> do, does, do you like playing more with people that you don't know or people that you know really well? Like, which is more interesting watching how people play? My favorite is is honestly a mix. Yeah. Right? Because, like, one, like I said, I love the icebreaker nature of it. And two, I like being able to, like, say, okay, so, for example, if I was playing with my best friend, Michael Bradbury, I one, I could read him like a book. <laughs> but two, like, I could be like, okay, cool. I don't have to look as hard for things from you but i know i can play off you more yeah so like i can banter a little bit more with you and then boom turn over and look at so like once i figure people out i like having them to kind of bounce ideas off of or say like okay i know we're in the same camp but even if we're not you're acting like we are so for the time being i can kind of like tick you off and like kind of you know know where you're at and then this person who I don't know I can focus a little bit more on them but I think if I sat at a table where I didn't know anybody I wouldn't have any footholds and if I sat at a table where I knew everybody super well like it would just become more of like a poker game than like strategically going through this is the I need more games where it's like everybody else versus me that's one of the (laughs) things that I really love about the Cuban Mafia is it's like that sounds like such a One of the things I love about the Cuban mafia um, (laughs) is that it is one trying to figure out everyone else. And so like that to me is more of like a strategy because also what I love about that is everybody else at the table doesn't necessarily know who the other person is. But like so the first person you pass the box to can look in the box and say, okay, I know everything that's in here when you handed it to me and you know what was handed to it. And then the next person, like, can see what is missing. And then, right. you know what I mean? So, like, they can kind of deduce, but it, not unlike Secret Hitler, where the fascists know who the other fascists are or anything like that, there's not as much information present. And so you are, one, playing against everyone else and everyone else is kind of individuals, which is a much different, I think, much different scenario than, like, if you're playing werewolf and there's two werewolves and the werewolves know who the other werewolf is. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's ah, there's just so many different dynamics at play and I'm nerding out so hard over them. <laughs> That is the entire point of this show. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's funny you bring that up because there are there are definitely people I can't play werewolf with anymore because they can read me immediately. Like, mm-hmm. well, like it'll be like, okay, night phase is over, and like I'll have a friend look at me and go, oh, Emily's the werewolf, <laughs> and I'll be like, cool, thanks, guys, great game. <laughs> <laughs> that I will say is my other favorite thing is like while I don't as much like playing the role as like the werewolf or the jewel thief or the Hitler or whatever that acting degree I mentioned does come into play so like I I'm pretty good at straight face 
And like what I did, so I played a game uh, of Secret Hitler the night before I played it at Gen Con and I was Hitler. And so what I did was rather than play like I was Hitler trying to pretend like I wasn't, I tried to play like I was a fascist covering for Hitler in my oh, head. Sure. So yeah. I didn't, that wasn't my strategy that I played openly. I wasn't trying to throw them off. I just kind of in my head told myself that I was a fascist covering for Hitler and to strategize like that so that I wasn't giving off signals that I was Hitler trying to cover for myself, that if I was going to give off signals, I would get... It's very complicated, but I. it's one of the best things about having ADD is that I'm able to have like eight conversations happening all at once in my head <laughs> mm-hmm. and have them all completely make sense to me. They would not make sense if I said them out loud. But in my head, like I can track like... I can be talking out loud and having a conversation in my head about two completely different things at the same time. And so it makes covering for myself way better, (laughs) way easier. The trick comes from like, if I get to, if I let one of those conversations get too far ahead of the other and it's like, what? Sorry. Uh, and it's like, okay, he's it. (laughs) Like, that's where I have to be careful. Actually, I'm curious. So you mentioned before that sort of thing of like finding the right people to play these games with who are going to take it seriously as a game, but not have it become like real life frustrating. Do you have like a really interesting story from playing one of these games? Because like I've I've witnessed shouting matches (laughs) from stuff like Werewolf before. There was a game. I won't name any names, but there was a game... Uh, well, I will name one name because it's my best friend, Tybee. Tybee and I played a lot of these games with other people. And like, I absolutely love playing games with Tybee because she and I are very similar. Like, we are the exact same person when it comes to like pub trivia and table game. Like, we are perfectly matched as far as we are very invested in it right up until it's done and then we don't care anymore. So, like, I don't get mad if I lose a game to someone. I don't get mad if I lose pub trivia, but I'm very into it and I want to pay attention. It's great. But so we were playing a game of, like, Mafia, and this dude at the table, one, was actively just basically it seemed like his everybody else their goal was to play the game and this guy's goal was to like aggressively flirt with tybee Mm. and like she wasn't having it she wasn't and like this dude was just being a real wang to like everybody and like ruined the game in a way of like that thing of like not invested but seeming to like want to like talk during when other people were talking or he would just like start shouting when other people were talking so like you know you'd be the dawn talking to somebody and be like okay so tell me what was in the box when it got to and this guy would just start screaming like i tell you who i think did it and you're like uh okay um okay stop that's not you're not playing right like i know there aren't rules but like you're clearly doing different than everyone else is and it, like that kind of play where it's like all right all right. It's not about you. There was another uh, completely different person. I was playing code names. Um, and this is a little bit different, but I, I think once again, it's amazing strategy game. That's very much about like knowing the people and psychologically. But mm-hmm. one of the things that you have to do in code names, you know, code names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the one with the, the like letters and or words and the tiles right. and everything, right? Yeah. For those at home, basically it's like a grid of, I think like five by five one word cards and you as the code giver are trying to say one word that kind of ties them all together. So like if there were words that were like nest 
wing beak, right? You could say bird three and then hope that the people there picked it up. But maybe there's also like finger and people are like, oh, like you flip someone the bird and they just like don't see nest. And if they pick finger, it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but one of the really important things is that if you are the code giver, once you say your thing, you don't react to anything. And I played like against it. So I was the code giver and this other person who would like, they would say like, oh, maybe. And he would go, Ugh. and it's like, what? You can't do that. And I got <laughs> so pissed. Like, it's one of the few times I've ever like stopped in the middle of a game and be like, hey, if you do that again, the game is over. Because like that is that's not even subtle. Like if they go to point at a wrong one and you like, Ugh. and it's like, uh, you you just told them not to pick that. Like, no, that's cheating. And like, uh, that that was very frustrating to me. Is there a reverse where somebody surprised you by just totally crushing it? Like someone you didn't think would be good at the game and then they were amazing? Uh, I mean, Teresa in general all the time uh, at everything. Um, you know, in, in general, I'm trying to think. Oh, I will say, so just recently at Gen Con uh, playing Munchkin. Amy Vorpal was on there, and I was... I, there were many competitors that in the game that I had picked. I mean, it was my game. And I was very worried about them. And I thought, Amy will be a fun player. And then she just destroyed everybody. Now, <laughs> let me be clear. She didn't technically win. Um, She, I think, never got past level one. But at every turn, she just demolished everybody else. Oh, and nice. that was kind of her MO. was like, oh, what did you... You just... Okay, I killed your mount. And you're like, what the? Ah! And like constantly, like she right out the gate crushed Stuart Wellington. Like Stuart had just laid out all of his items and armor. Oh, no. And Amy was just like, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, your mount's dead. And he's like, <laughs> and we hadn't even started playing. No one had done anything yet. And like from that point forward, she just got more and more savage. And like by the end, we all agreed that even though she was still level one, she had won the game. Yeah, like, that's, that's a just, moral victory at that point. It was amazing. It was one of the, like, a most amazing, like, gameplay I've ever, to the point where she would, like, kind of lean forward and look at cards and everyone would get nervous. <laughs> like, it was so amazingly intimidating. It was incredible. So, because obviously with a lot of these, it's it's all about reading people. It's all about piecing things together logically. Um, And it's a question we've kind of asked a lot of people with the topic that they've brought. How has your interest in these kinds of subterfuge games bled into kind of everyday life if if they have at all oh i mean it they're so married that it's hard for me to tell which one has impacted the other okay because that's the thing is like i love reading people it's it's i kind of do it naturally just every day it's part of like performing for me comedy for me is like feeling the energy of the audience and like the people that you're playing with as far as like comedy goes and improvising goes and that kind of thing i will say that i think playing subterfuge games and playing these line games makes you a better uh improviser mm -hmm. and because mm -hmm. here's the thing right if you're on stage and you make eye contact with your scene partner and like you can see in their eyes that like they are not sure what to do next right and you can like 
step in and do it and read that moment correctly. That's what makes people in the audience say like, oh my God, they're amazing. Really? But it was like, okay, I see you panicked or I'm panicking and I'm sending you a look and I'm sharing this moment with you or like you're talking, but I can tell now that like you don't know how you're going to end the sentence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I will help like that kind of thing. And so it's hard for me to tell where one begins and the other ends. But I think that the reason I especially love playing games like that in front of an audience is it really does become like an improv game, right? And yeah. and everybody brings different skill sets to it. And I think that this is why it's so important that one of the things that I would tell people who are interested in playing these games for the first time is you have to find a line between being invested in the game versus like any kind of real world emotions. Like I played once with a, a married couple who at a certain point I started to get a little uncomfortable because they would say things like, you really, you really think that I'm, you know, I'm a fascist. Mm-hmm. You really, you would say, and I was like, mm. I want to <laughs> say like, Hey, okay, stop. It's a game. Mm-hmm. This is fine. Don't be mad at each other. <laughs> Don't really be mad. And so like, and I think it's the same as like in, in pretty much any competitive thing ever of like, it's okay to be like pumped up and excited during it. But like, as soon as the game's done, it's done, you know, and you yeah. gotta let that go. And so I think it's really important that you don't, because I think it really quickly gets ruined for people if they let themselves kind of get pouty or sullen or like, all right, fine, don't believe me, whatever. And it's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The whole point of the game is that I don't believe you. Like, yeah. that's, <laughs> I'm, this is not me passing judgment on you as a person or mm-hmm. as a friend or whatever. Like, the whole point is that I am not supposed to believe you. So, like, don't get angry that I don't believe you. Just change your strategy and think of a different way to do it. And so that's that's the thing. Is like, I can see where these games can be really kind of... They can be hit or miss, right? Because yeah. there is a certain razor's edge of, like, a person getting real-world upset. And I think that if that is the case, one of the other things that's important if you're a person like me, where you really like to solve these games is if you see that one person's enjoyment of the game is not uh, blossoming, then it's time to, like, maybe say, okay, time for a vote. We're enough talking. Let's move forward. Yeah. yeah right? Because yeah. it's just a game. And, and it's very fun to solve it. And it's very fun to figure everything out. But at the end of the day, the importance of a game is that people are having a good time. And it listen, if it starts to get a little heated, I suggest uh, switching to roll for it. It's a super easy game where you roll some dice and you match those dice to cards and you can totally like sip mimosas while you do it. And it's super <laughs> chill and it's totally great. It is a wonderful like brunch game that anybody can do. Highly recommend. There are options that don't involve screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah, just break out your break out your rounds of were- werewolf with like a right. with like a downtime game. <laughs> Switch to sushi go. Yes. Have some fun. Don't worry about it. Take it easy. As an individual who was banned from the family game of Trivial Pursuit against adults when I was like 13, uh, Mm -hmm. and there was almost a table flipping situation, it definitely can happen (laughs) with pretty much any game (laughs) if you you let that uh, the competition spirit bleed over too much into real life. It definitely can oh, yeah. come between people. That was me. I mean, no joke. Pull the curtain back a little bit. When I was 18, I remember very much going to a game night with friends. I think of Scategories, maybe? 
And there was a person on my team who was like just sitting there reading a magazine during the rounds. And like at one point she like distracted another teammate, like, oh, look at that. And like I got so mad, I picked up the uh the hourglass, the little plastic sand mm-hmm. timer thing yeah. and like smashed it on the wall. Oh, and yeah, like that was a really <laughs> shitty thing to do. And like that moment has actually really stood out for me since then. Now, mm-hmm. 16 years later, I can still recall it with like complete clarity of like, whoa, even I in that moment was like, whoa, why am I upset about this? Whoa. And like, I pretty much started from that moment forward, like changing the way that I played games. And even now I sometimes will feel myself getting really like caught up in them. And so like, I now have like off ramps that I know to do that if I start to get caught up in something, say like, okay, well, what do you think? And like handing it off to somebody else or like, okay, how about you take the lead this round or whatever. And like, no, like doing that for myself um, yeah. means I enjoy it more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I say it's important for everyone to do enjoy it that includes you yeah i think especially with those kinds of psychological games it can very quickly veer into dangerous territory and like getting like real life mad at people um and i think being able to identify that so that everyone can still have fun and you don't have to remove it from the the game pile every game night um is a good is a good strategy well that's the other thing very important order your games correctly i you know start here's my advice Start with a game, if it's like, so for example, uh, Mafia or Werewolf or Hitler, right? Where everyone can play, but it's a little intense, right? But it's, the, the rules are very easy. Second game, this is where you can do your like Catans or your, uh, your House on the Hill, where it's more involved, but you're already warmed up now. And then you finish it off with like a Sushi Go or a roll for it. Now you can switch those. And you can start with a sushi goal or a roll for it kind of thing as a warm up, but then you don't want to end your night with a werewolf or a Hitler or a mafia because then everybody's tired and a little cranky. And especially if you're carrying over any heat from Betrayal at House of the Hill or whatever, <laughs> oh, it's going to go bad. Don't want to end with, don't want to end with lying game. Yeah. That's what I have learned. Yeah. Let's follow up the turncoat game immediately with a lying game. That was right. No, 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 no. Too, too hot. Too hot. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, I I can't. Th- and do you have anything else? I think we've covered the what everything yeah, I was going to ask. So. I think so I'm 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 now really invested in the idea of there being like a podcaster who solves crimes. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I got moderately distracted by that part way through. Like, yeah, I would watch I, that. I show. only imagine it, I imagine it going like this. Yes, hello, I'm here to help. Please don't. It's how I imagine <laughs> that going over and over again. What's your specialty? I'm a podcaster. How does that even work? Okay, you know what? Never mind. Bye. <laughs> okay, you know what radio is? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, gosh, thank you so much, uh, Travis, for, for coming on and, and talking to us about this. It was yeah. so, you got so enthusiastic and that was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I got very caught up in just listening to you talk about everything. <laughs> I, I'm very good at talking. I do it a lot. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? Uh, if you want to plug any upcoming new stuff that might be happening or you know all all of your myriad of podcasts go for it the floor is yours um the easiest place to find all of my podcasts is if you go to macroyshows.com um they're like all grouped there uh you can find me on twitter at travis macroy as well as on instagram at travis macroy as far as plugging stuff i'm trying to think because there's oh 
the thing is, is all my stuff varies so rapidly. <laughs> I'll probably have stuff going on, but right now it's August. So it's hard for me to know what I'll be doing in October. What am I doing in October? What even, what is today? Um, I, oh, I know. I, I, in November, I am doing a, uh, Cincinnati Underground Society show. Um, which that ticket link doesn't exist yet, but it will most likely be, uh, bit.ly slash C-U-S-S November 2018 to 018. Um, and the Cincinnati Underground Society show is a secret society show in which I bring a bunch of guests to Cincinnati and I don't tell you who they're going to be, but they're all incredible. And then you come to the show and we have a really fun night hanging out and joking around on stage. And it's super great. And everybody loves it. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank for you. For everything and your time and, and for making this work. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, you can hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or create an elaborate game of detection, deception, and duplicity and invite us over to play. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or if you didn't like the show, then I'm pretty sure you're the werewolf. Just saying. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy. (laughs) 